We say good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. You guys ready to get into the, the Word of God? As we have had our hearts prepared in uh, the aspect of reading God's Word and praying and singing. God's good, huh? We say blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It may sound familiar. It's right out of our text that we're going to be dealing with today. We started a new study last week. Second uh, Corinthians is where we're at. We were introduced to that. We had the introduction and we got into about the first verse or so. But we gave a backdrop and it's really important to have a backdrop to a book that you're in. Always check out who wrote it and why and when and where and how. Good to have that knowledge as you go through the book. Then you can draw upon that and understand kind of the setting. Just like any time you read a, any other story or you watch a movie, it's good to know what happened at the very first or what, what's the, the background on this. So after introducing the who, what, and the, the, the where and such, we immediately notice the concern that Paul has. Now you remember that Paul is uh, actually under quite the affliction. Not only physically, but from uh, people that are so-called true Christians who really are not. They're false apostles and they're condemning Paul in Corinth after he set up a church there. Then later on he left and then he heard some stories that was happening and they were condemning Paul and making him look bad and saying he really wasn't an apostle. That's why he first starts off in the very first verse, Paul, an apostle, Jesus Christ. He was sent by God uh, and, and by Him alone. It was God's will, it says, and it's to this church in Corinth. Uh, there's, a, there's a key word in this text that we're going to be uh, looking at today, and you won't miss it. I don't even have to say it right now, because as we read the text, we'll, we'll get it. We'll, we'll see what that key word is. Uh, but it's saturated with this word. matter of fact, throughout the book of Second Corinthians, I think it's 18 times the verb is used, and 11 times the noun is used, so that's 29 times. And in our text today, from verses 3 through 7, you're going to see it ten times. You probably know what that word is by now. If you're just looking at your Bible, that word just keeps sticking out. You can't help it. So that's going to be definitely at uh, our top of our thought here today. Um, how does Paul do? How does he do this? How does he encourage others when he is being? physically abused, mentally abused, spiritually abused, in every direction, it seems like everywhere he goes, he winds up in jail. Then he has his own people, so-called own people, then saying that he's not really true. Well, at the same time, he's encouraging other people, other Christians. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And How does he do that? What's the secret? The secret is, is that he puts his eyes on the Lord. Because you'll notice in verse 1, verse 2, even though the first word is Paul, an apostle, he comes right directly and says, Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And then he mentions in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And right off the bat, that's where everything starts. You know, it doesn't start with me, how bad my ailments are, how bad my persecution is, how bad my afflictions are. Or how good things are going. The thing is, it's it's about God. You want to have a high view of God, right? High view of His Scriptures, a high view of God. 
And I tell you what, you'll be in the right place. So we're gonna we start with God. We started with it last week, and we'll move right into it in in this text. And he sets things right. It's about praising God, as he will start off with, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him." Now, when we talked about affliction. New Testament says that's the Christian way of life. <laughs> People flooding out of here immediately. They say, you don't talk about this kind of stuff today. That is the Christian way of life. We expect it. That's part of this life. There's no exceptions to this general principle. It's only to be expected. But I do want to tell you another thing. And secondly, it's a privilege. And that sounds really odd and strange that it's a privilege to have affliction. Polycarp, who goes back to the very second century, an early church father, he was the ancient bishop of Smyrna, And he was bound up to be martyred because of his faith in Jesus Christ. All he had to do was deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could have gotten out of that. And he said this, I thank Thee, I thank Thee, God, that Thou hast judged me worthy of this hour. That's the way they thought. They were still being martyred, persecuted uh, in the second century, weren't they? And third and fourth. Anyway, he says, I thank you, God, that I have this hour. This is a worthy thing. Thank you that you have put this upon me. Well, he implants the divine life in us. And it's not any merit that we have at all. It's all by his grace. He brought us to Christ. And the Christian life can be a life of affliction, a life of joy. We're commanded to have joy. But also, we don't lie. It is a part uh, of it to have that affliction. The servant shall not be above his master, Jesus said. Not be above his master. He said further, if they hated me, they will hate you. That was to the apostles. But he's saying it to the church. He's saying it to us today. So consequently, we are true representatives of Christ and as being in our human nature, we expect the kind of response that's going to come from humankind who do not know Christ. And so it's inevitable that this will happen, and it's a privilege. With that fresh in mind, it's good to know we have the God of all comfort. Now, with all that negative stuff I just said, with that said... This means simply that He is completely sufficient and adequate and efficient in every way to meet the experiences of our life. (laughs) What a great God, right? The Word of God just fills us with the efficiency and sufficiency of God. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a comforter. It says in 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2, He's our advocate. He's the one who is the intercessor. He's a mediator. We said that in the confession this morning. He mediates for us. He's the high priest. So we have a comforter in Jesus Christ. We know we have a comforter in the Holy Spirit because Jesus says, I must go, but I must leave you the Holy Spirit. I must leave you the paraclete, the comforter. So, we have the Holy Spirit who is with us here on earth. We have Jesus Christ, who is a comforter, 
that's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Father, in this text, we can see also, is our comforter, who lives in heaven. We have two in heaven. We have one on earth. They all are comforters. We're going to find out what that word means in a few moments. Divine authority and power, strength to face the experiences of our lives. So when Paul opens this up, he starts out by saying, God is coming to me in my affliction. That's what Paul is saying. He's coming to me in my affliction. He's coming to me in my anguish. He's coming to me in every aspect because He's a Father of mercies. He's a God of comfort. He's a God of all comfort. Because I'm suffering, He's going to come to me to comfort me. And he's not saying it's his sin, even though Paul is human and he sinned, but it wasn't that he was being persecuted because he had been sinning. It was because he represented Christ fully. So he starts this whole paragraph by blessing God. And we're going to look at that first and then see why, as we've just introduced. Let's let's stand. Let's read the text. Hey, this is written to us. This is written from God to us. Apostles wrote it down. 2,000 years, people have been reading this. And here we are today, and this supernaturally came from God. One of the ways that He reveals Himself. The best way. The best way He reveals Himself. Direct revelation. Word of God. You have it in your hand. Incredible, isn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring with the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our Comfort. Let's pray. Father, Father of mercies, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, You are amazing. We stand here today recognizing the awesome magnificence, the transcendent, holy God, high and lifted up, May we recognize how exalted You are. And then You instruct us and You tell us how to live our lives. Thank You, Lord, for saving us by Your grace and keeping us saved all the way to the end, all by Your grace. Thank You, Father of mercies. In Your Son's name, Amen.
What's the key word of this text today? If you didn't get that. <laughs> Back to kindergarten. What's the key word? <laughs> Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's, a, that's an hour's worth right there. And it might start out that way. It might end that way. I'm not so sure. Only an hour from that. You could. You could do a message and a, and a half. <laughs> Blessing God. Right here, after he's introduced in those first two verses, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Father, folks. <laughs> Did you get that? He's our Father. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord Jesus Christ because He possesses us. He owns us. And here's a faithful man, Paul, proclaiming the Gospel. He's paying a price as Satan and the host of demons and all the ones that Satan uses and they accuse him mercilessly. And and here he is saying, God is gracious and I offer peace to you. He's a Father of mercies. He's a God of all comfort. And He's coming alongside and He's helping me. And He's going to help you. So in this opening section, uh, I think there's a note of defense that Paul has for himself as he has been blamed. That's what this letter is kind of about. What it's about. But it's really that they would know that He has some instruction for him. And uh, boy, does He ever. Blessed is God. Why? (laughs) That's obvious, isn't He? Well, because he, he comforts me. Blessed, blessed is God because He's God. <laughs> or not. But He is. He reveals Himself. But, you know, that's what He's going to get to here. He's going to talk about this um, comfort. It starts with praise. Blessed be. Eulogeo. Um, let's get into something you'd understand really easy. Eulogy. We hear those at funerals. You've heard that before. He's going to give a eulogy for it. That means, E-U means good or well, and logi, eulogy, or logeo, means to speak. What do we have there? To speak good of, or to speak well of. To well speak about somebody. That's what eulogy is about, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, some people have to lie when they speak well of a person that they never would have before. Blessed be the God... A eulogy for God? Yeah, speaking well. Uh, He's eulogizing God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He praises God because he knows God's in control. He knows God is sovereign in every circumstance. Paul had learned this. Paul had learned this praise. It's an important factor when you achieve victory over discouragement. You ever been discouraged? You ever been depressed? Here is the antidote to it. Right here. You praise God. So that's where you start? Yeah. I've been dealing with this thing in my throat. They've done all sorts of things to me and it's still the same thing. I still have to praise God because I read this text here. You know, I say, why God? And I go, ah, you know what? I don't really need to know the answer. It's something that He's going to use for now. And so I deal with it. And then I say, praise God. Praise God because I can still have a a voice. Praise God because I can read His Word out loud and speak it. (laughs) 
So, thank you for putting up with it. But you're going to have to live with it because that's what God gave me for the time being. <laughs> and sometimes I can also they say this though. I can say sometimes the enemy, Satan, can attack and do a number on you too. Which I think has happened before in my years. And I was talking to Luke earlier and all the battles and struggles that they've had, the whole family, uh, physical aspects that they never had before and all of a sudden it's all at once. It's like sometimes the enemy can really strike that. So, but then I go back and look at Job and say God had a plan in that because He wouldn't have let that happen unless it was part of the plan. And then you read the book of Job and you see the end of it and you see, oh, I can see where God was going on that all along. But if you were Job, no, you didn't know for sure what was happening. But you trust God. Old Testament says, Blessed be the God and Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Old Testament. Did you ever see that before? You see quite frequently, don't you? Blessed be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fathers of the faith. He uh, spoke through them. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Just for an instance. Speaking to Moses here, this is the burning bush incident. You guys might remember that one. He also said, I, this is God speaking, I am. That's really all he has to say. And before, you know, matter of fact, Lord, who shall I say who sent me? He said, I am. We start, I am. That's the covenant God. That's, you, that's Yahweh. People say Jehovah, but that's His covenant name. I am. The self-existent one. Even better. I am the God of your father. Hey, Moses, I'm the God of your father. Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, I guess. You think he had a high view of God? Yeah, he certainly did. And then we said that. That uh, overwhelmed him. In chapter 4, verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, that's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God appeared to him. The theophany. Appearance of God. In the Old Testament, you have theophanies. Who do you think that is? Second, second person, the Trinity, reveals himself to Moses here. New Testament, blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Not that it's anything less, he's still the same God. But now he makes it very specific. That's who we who we find ourselves in. We identify with Christ. We identify with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But now that Christ has been here, done the sacrifice, and we have been placed into the body of Christ, we identify with Him, the God and Father of Jesus Christ. God who once spoke through the Old Testament fathers and then the Old Testament prophets it says in Hebrews 1, in these last days, He's revealed Himself through the Son. 
the Son of God, the ultimate revelation, Jesus Christ. Hebrew one, Hebrews 1 says, He spoke to us in His Son. His Son, much greater than the Father's. Hebrews shows that Jesus is better than all the prophets, than all the angels, than anyone ever created. He's equal in nature with God. That's precisely what is intended to say here. He's the Son. John 1.14 Look at the aspect of the Son of God, Jesus, for a moment. We know He's the Word. He's with God. Word was God. He was face to face with God. He's equal with God. He's the light. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, pitched His tabernacle, tented with us, came to mankind. We saw His glory. John saw His glory. Peter and James saw that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you imagine when Jesus just peeled back His flesh and they saw glory? John never forgot it. Peter never forgot it. James never forgot it. The only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Drop down to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. That's how we know who God is. Only through the person of Christ. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Something there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the rest of it. Who has blessed us. You bless Him. You speak well of Him. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. That qualifies it. All the spiritual blessings that you ever need are in Him. No wonder He gives a blessing because of that. Then, Then you get into just some of the greatest words in all the Bible. This is free. I didn't plan to go here, but I can't help verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It had nothing to do with your merits, folks. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before Him. That's what He's doing now. And eventually, we will be glorified. And then, well... Okay. About that hour on this verse, Father. Just as He chose us... Okay, right? And verse 5, He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. See, the He's and the Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of His will to the praise. You see what Paul is doing here? He's got so much stuff just bubbling out of him. He can't help but hold back. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's given us every spiritual blessing. And then He goes on to tell us this 
golden glory here and it's to the praise of the glory of His grace, His grace, which He freely bestowed in us, in the Beloved, in Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We could go on. Sorry, I've got to go back to our passage. I... I couldn't help it. But why is he saying, Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's because of this. How can you not praise God when you think of that? Forget what you're dealing with. Go right to God and you'll get your thinking correct. You know, that's where we go. We don't put it on our tribulation. The Father. Okay, he says, The Father. God and Father. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's to say the the Son and the Father share the same essence, the very nature. They're equal. Whatever God is, the Son is. God is saying, whatever I am, my Son is. It means He's God. Whatever my Father is, Jesus is saying, in terms of essence, I am. Look at the book of John all the I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All those I am's. I am. He could have just said that. You go back to Moses. I am. Jesus is saying, Yahweh, I am God. He's not the Father. He's the second person in the Trinity. The Son speaks that they are equal in nature. As man, He submits Himself fully to God. He is the Son of the Father. We know in deity, He's absolute God. One in essence. In humanity, He submits to that. He takes on the form of a bondservant. Philippians chapter 2 says, He obeys God. He identifies God as His God. Now that's an incredible statement. Jesus, the Son who is God, addresses God as God. The Father. He isn't just any God, is He? He isn't just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But He's the God who revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. He's the Anointed One. He's the Redeemer He's the sovereign one, isn't He? He's the one who submitted Himself in incarnation. And He could say, God is my God. There's God the Father. And He prays to God the Father. While He's man, and He's still man, Jesus is. But He's also God. The Father of mercies. Our Lord Jesus Christ, and then He comes back to the Father. Jesus said, here's how you pray. What's the first two words? Our Father. To the Hebrew, that is almost sacrilegious. You don't ever call Him Father. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. But our Father, we can call Him Father. 
you can run to the Father. Sometimes known as Papa. Abba. Father. It's kind of God He is. God is my God. God is coming to Paul in his suffering. God is coming to him in his pain. God is coming to his affliction. And he's not coming to chasten him, but to what? Comfort. God is going to come to pick him up. The God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Father of mercies, Father, what's it mean? That uh, you would know what it meant. Father means originator. Origins. The originator of. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. I thought I was going to say Genesis 1, right? Genesis 4. And you get a man who's called Father there. And it's not Adam. You say, who is it? His brother's name was Jubal. How's he known as? He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. The harp and the pipe. He's the one who made the musical instruments. Musicians, <laughs> I go back and we can go back to Genesis to find out where music came from. It came from God. But he used this guy right here <clears throat> who's the father of these instruments. He's the originator of these musical instruments. <laughs> That's incredible thought. God meant for us to have instruments as we have the greatest instrument, the voice, that goes along with these instruments to accompany us. God intended for a music to be praising Him. That's what it's about. Our Father, merciful Father. He's ever compassionate. That's the language of the Jew. He is a merciful God. That means He looks at us in our desperate, miserable condition. He takes pity on us. We do not deserve His grace. But we do deserve His punishment. And so therefore, He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is everlasting punishment. He doesn't give us that. Why? Because He's the Father of mercies. Beautiful word, isn't it? The Old Testament has it all the way through. Sometimes in your translations and in mine, it will use the word loving kindness, but it still has the same meaning of this mercy. That's what it means. All of mercy. He's the originator of mercy. The originator of mercy. Originates with God. The only place you can get mercy is from God. In His mercy, He doesn't give us what we deserve. Look to Lamentations 3.22. Jeremiah. Lamentations. I think if you read the book of Jeremiah and you read Lamentations... You need a father of mercies. <laughs> There's a lot of weeping by Jeremiah because there's going to be a lot of judgment coming. And it happened. I'm going to use the word mercy here. My translation, New American Standard, will actually use loving kindness. 
Does anybody out there have a translation that says the Lord's mercy? Do we have that? In 322 of Lamentations, do we have that? Does it, does it show up in anybody's translation? No. Take my word for it. <laughs> the Lord's loving kindness or mercy indeed never cease for His compassions or His comfort or His mercy again never fail. Look at Numbers 14, 19. Look at the prophets. Let's look at the law. Numbers 14, 19. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness or mercy. Did you get that? The greatness. His mercy is great just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. We need your mercy. Let's do some Psalms. Actually, I'm going to have to move on here. Psalm 5, verse 7. But as for me, by your abundant, like that word, not only great, but abundant loving kindness. I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. That's a proper view of God. It's a proper view of worship coming from David, the choir director. (laughs) And he says, it's by your abundant mercy that I can even come to the temple and even worship you. I'm going to bow in reverence. It's all by His mercy that we do. We're worshiping here today. It's a mercy of God that He would bless us as we honor Him. Mercy. A lot of other psalms there. You get the idea. He's the source of mercy. Tender compassion. Source of pity. He's the God of comfort. Comfort. He's completely sufficient to every experience in our lives. Word of God. Sufficiency of God. Sufficiency of Scripture is always there, isn't it? It's for us. Okay. Second Corinthians. Let's don't have one of those. That was the mercy of God to keep me standing up here. <laughs> okay. The God... Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. We've gotten there so far, right? The God of all... There's a word. You know what the word for that is, don't you? Paraclesis. Para, parallel, alongside. Clasis, call, to call alongside. Paraclete, to call alongside. He has The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. He is called alongside us. Rest of our days, right? He's the comforter, it's known as in the Gospels. Now, when we think of comforter, we think of a nice, soft, cushy bed with a nice, soft pillow underneath another pillow with another nice, soft pillow behind us. You guys ever use those that many? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Just pillows all over the place. <sighs> Feels pretty good, doesn't it? But he's not talking about that word. How about the lazy boy? 
You know, lazy boy recliner. Oh, how comforted it is after you've come out of a hot day and you've worked outside and you go like that and kick back and watch the Cardinals play. It's a synonym for this, and I want you to catch this. If you haven't caught anything else this whole time, you might have caught the joke, though. It was true. (laughs) Janice goes. (laughs) Beth goes. (laughs) It's a synonym for this. Strength. Paraclete. Call alongside. And you take the Latin word, and granted, the uh, Greek word here is more accountable to it, but we get our meaning and it comes to us in English, and it's like courage, bravery, strength. God came to me in giving me courage. God gave me strength. God gave me boldness. That's what Paul is saying here. He made me brave. That is what he's saying when he said, He's a God of all comfort. The God of all strength who strengthens us in our affliction. It's not that He comes along and pats you on the head and says, It's okay. It's alright. Even though He does do that. But He strengthens us to be able to do this affliction. The English word for comfort comes from those Latin words which means with strength. That's the idea. Paul's character had been assaulted by false teachers and a few people in the church in Corinth were believing it and he had all this pain. God strengthened him. That's why Paul praises Blesses God. Mm. Talking with Audrey this week and it helped me bring this out. I had to start looking for it in um, commentaries. So I say, Audrey, don't get embarrassed, but really, that's really cool when when somebody calls up because when you start talking about the things of the Lord, it helps in what you happen to be dealing with at the time. And it was happened to be dealing with this message at that time. And and then it started clicking in. So Isaiah 40 is dealing with, everybody knows it, you, you probably have a plaque at home, you know, it's dealing with the eagle, right? At our store, we had those plaques always. It was a must. If we didn't have them, people would go, what is this? This isn't a Christian bookstore. <laughs> That's finally why we had to, I couldn't find any more plaques that said Isaiah 40, 31. I just, I just... Just kidding there. Just kidding. But uh, it was the most popular one, I think, that, that we had. All the plaques. It was right at the top. So, 40.31. It's actually introduced by verse... Uh, look at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord... By the way, He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Just in case in the year 2000 or 1900 or so when that started coming about, about God didn't create. You know, this is the one who created. Do not become weary or tired. Don't become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives what? 
strength to the weary. How about comfort? How about strength? How about boldness? How about energy? And to him who lacks might he increases lacks might he increases power. Through though youths grow weary and tired. Even the youth grow weary and tired. And vigorous young men stumble badly. It's easy to say old people do. When the young people it even happens to them. And here's the good news. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. There's our word, new comfort, new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You like that? Is that helpful? That's what God does to us. He strengthens us. That's His promise right there. That's that's amazing how many people go to that. Well, we can see that in the Psalms. Man. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I didn't intend for this to be this late. Second Corinthians 12. 9 and 10. Second Corinthians 12. Paul had a little bit something to boast about coming from the human angle. He was caught up to the third heaven. <laughs> God says, I know what man is inclined to do when he sees things that are unspeakable. (laughs) He saw the third heaven. (laughs) You know what God does after that? He comes back down to earth. In the body, out of the body, Paul doesn't know. In case you want to know, it's 41 minutes. 19 minutes. <laughs> hey, that's pretty close. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, he's an apostle. He, he saw the third heaven. To keep me from exalting myself. Yes, Paul had the tendency to do that because we all do. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. It was a good thing that he had whatever this thorn was. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. It must have been pretty bad. And he said to me, for you for power is perfected in weakness most gladly therefore I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me therefore I am well content with weakness with insults with distresses because that's what was happening. This is the same book that we're going to be in for quite a while. This is this this is a chapter that we'll get, and this is the kind of stuff that Paul's telling us. With persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, he has a right view, doesn't he? For when I am weak, <laughs> then I am strong. When I'm weak. 
that's when Christ really reveals His glory. Wow, Paul said a mouthful. Uh, everybody, this is the second biggest plaque. <laughs> Philippians 4.13. How about license plates? How about bumper stickers? How about athletes? <laughs> you know where I'm going? Philippians 4.13. You don't really probably have to turn there. I can do all things through Him who comforts me. Ah, wait. It strengthens me. Who comforts me, strengthens me. Same thought, right? I can do. I can't. That's a power word there. That is a word of action with power. I can do all things. Not because of who I am, but it's all about the strength of Christ that pours that strength into us. Everyone has that strength. If you're a Christian, you have that strength. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that strength. As simple as that. You have Christ. You have that strength. So I sure don't feel like it. You have the strength. I don't care what you feel like. Here's what truth says. You have His strength. Why does God do what He does? Paul tells us in the fourth verse. says so that, that He would comfort us. Why does He do that to us? Why does He give these tests? Because he wants to strengthen you. Oh, is it making sense? He weakens us to strengthen us. Isn't that just like Christ? <laughs> it's always backwards, isn't it? Well, if you're human, and you have human nature, we tend to think backwards, don't we? God always knows what He's doing. So, the word in Second Corinthians now, our key word is comfort today, which is Parakletos, paraclete. Now another key word, it's affliction. Affliction. The word is thalipsis. If you want to put it in English, that's T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. It means to crush, to press down upon is probably even better accurate. To be narrowly constricted, to be confined, to be pressed down upon. Is that a word picture? Who comforts us or strengthens us in all our being pressed down upon. The crushing pressure. And God permits and ordains affliction. Why? Shouldn't it be everything works out great from here on out? Well, we honestly look at it. We look at Scripture. It's totally different than most of those guys you see on TV, isn't it? I don't talk about this. This is what He's doing to us. So that He'd make us holy. And I'll give you some reasons why. I can't give you the ultimate reason why. But I think we can get some biblical solutions to this that helps out and say, I can't believe God would be that way. Read Second Corinthians and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, It's there. Look what he did in the Old Testament to his people Israel. 
to his elect in there. Well, how we how we view this? Um, don't ever think of things being accidents as God would surprise. Now we can call them accidents in our human language. We know what that means. In an accident in the car, you know, of course. But to God, is it an accident? Whoa! Dennis, I didn't know you were going to make a left there. Ah! All of a sudden, he's not sovereign, is he? He's not in control. So there's three possible outlooks we can have here. One is what the world usually goes by, and it's called luck, it's called chance, it's called fate. You know what? There is no such thing. Luck is not a thing. Have you ever seen it? You ever touched it? Felt it? It's not a spirit. It's, it's nothing. There's no such thing as luck. So as Christians, I beg of you not to use that word anymore. There's certain things as he's a fortunate person. But to get something by pure luck is a, really it's not agreeing with Scripture. And I know we use that word in a loose way. You know, uh, the guy's just lucky, you know, playing at a game, you know, game of chance and such, you know. I, I didn't even mean to get into that. That's another thing. How do I explain that? Okay. There's mathematical numbers to those things, though. There are scientific explanations. But if, if, if it is just by luck or chance or fate, I have to give up. I have nothing to say in this whatsoever. And that's the second one. Well, then, it's really me. I have control. I have control of my own destiny. If we have to control everything ourselves, the situation is equally as impossible. It's hopeless if I have to control everything. But, if God is in control and we trust Him, then we can overcome the circumstances that come into our lives. Hey, we're getting into application here today. <laughs> we're getting some doctrine. We're getting application. We can actually use this stuff, folks. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, um, about that, what are, what are the reasons then? You just went off the track. You said you were going to give us some reasons why there would be afflictions. Number one, I think it's obvious, can be for our own sin, for our own rebellion. Sometimes we sin and we get disciplined, right? We get whipped as He whips us right on into heaven. At the bottom of every Christian heart, no matter how advanced in faith and godliness, there is a sediment of self-reliance. We can do this. We have done this. You know, we we rely upon ourselves. Ah, no big deal. Then God comes along. He just shakes those things out of our lives. Sometimes He shakes them to the foundation, and it's to show us our self-reliance. To show us our pride. And He cleans us out with a deeper reliance on Him. Now we're relying on Him more than ever before because after we got through that, then we go, He brought me through. People will say that. Christians say that, don't they? 
God did this for me. After waiting so long, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. God took care of it. Number two, it's to keep us from sinning. Remember, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, we were just there. You might be there still yet. Remember, he was giving, given a messenger from Satan to keep him from exalting himself. To keep him from pride. So sometimes, we're given these kind of afflictions, philipsis, pressurized, so that it'll keep us from sinning. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's a lot of times that happens and we have no idea that what He was doing was keeping us from sinning. You say, I, you know, He just keeps going up again. I can't understand this. And He knows the situation. Maybe that particular thing that you want to do has nothing to do with sin. But if you get in that situation, it might take you into sin a lot deeper than you ever even thought or where you had been before. Watch out. Keep us from sinning. Number three, it wakes us up to desperate conditions that are in the world. Desperate conditions are out there in the world today, aren't they? Just go on Facebook and you'll find them, most of them. <laughs> you'll find, and if you have Christians on there, you also see some really good stuff that kind of helps counter that. Did you know that one billion people do not have safe water to drink? I said one billion. There's something like six billion today, is that what it is? One in six of people don't have safe water to drink. 16,000 children die every day. Half the population of Jeff City here dying today, right right now, from hunger related to illness. Almost 18 million children are orphaned in Saharan Africa, sub-Saharan. Our suffering here does not compare to that. And when we start looking at what's happening out there, we have every reason to say, bless God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, it's about perfecting our character. He's making us holy. Perfecting. He's he's going to make us complete. Without afflictions, it's not going to happen. Romans 8.28. Remember the few weeks we stood on Romans 8.28? Sat there maybe? (laughs) He works all things together for good to those who love Him and call according to His purpose. He's working it for good. Number five, it's to relocate the roots of our joy that we have in His grace and in His mercy. We have affliction. We have an elevation of our view of grace. An elevation of His mercy. Our joy is never to be rooted in circumstances, your surroundings. God has relocated our joy in His grace. Not in our goods. In His mercy. Not in our money. In His worth. And not in our wealth. His joy. The joy He gives us Number six, it's for the church to care for its hurting members. This is where it's leading us in to where we'll pick up next week, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just just the closing note here. 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with which a comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I'll just touch on this and we'll hit it next week. But it's taking the comfort, the strength that God gives and you can't hang on to it. This is this is the real trick of it all. You can't hang on to that comfort because he's saying you have to give it away. The strength that that you needed, God gave you. Now you take that strength, that comfort, and you give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody that needs his strength. Give it to an unbeliever for good news, the gospel. Give it to other believers. Close on this. George W. Truda of First Baptist Church down in Dallas for many decades, and it only had so many pastors there. One of his sermons, he mentions that at there was an unbelieving couple in his church. Their baby just died suddenly out of, out of nowhere. So they come to Dr. Truda. They're unbelievers. They ask him to conduct a funeral. So he did. He, he later said that he had to see. He saw the joy of them being brought to Christ, uh, trusting in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many months later, there was a young mother in the same church who lost her baby. And again, Dr. Truett is called on. He brings her comfort, brings her strengthening. And what he says doesn't seem to help very much. At the funeral service, at the very conclusion of that service, the very first mother who had lost the child stepped forward went to the young girl's side and said, I passed through this, and I know what you're passing through. God called me, and through the darkness I came to Him. He's comforted me, and He'll comfort you. Dr. Truett then said, the first mother did more for that second mother than I could have done maybe in days or months or years. For the young mother had traveled the road suffering we don't understand of course fully the reasons there's suffering there's evil in the world I think Genesis 3 pretty well Genesis 4 explains those problems sin but perhaps maybe the least notable reasons is that there there may be that common comfort that goes on with the saints of God. You guys have strengthened me down through the years. We strengthen each other. We know where it comes from. We know the source. That's what one of the reasons why the church is about. All the struggles that we have, isn't it great to know that you got somebody praying for you? Isn't it great to know that somebody will come alongside, like a paraclete, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, and give us a Scripture that we need at that exact time? That's not accident, folks. God is comforting you so that you can comfort others, so that God gets the glory and we see what this is all about. Let's pray.